Awesome. Can you guys hear me okay? Is this coming through? Good to go? Is it okay if I move around? It doesn't yell? Okay. Um, so before I get started, I do want to do a little more intro with Sarah and I, um, just to kind of make this a little more lighthearted. So Sarah and I met right around four years ago. We were on a mission trip to Fort Lauderdale, Florida, and laid eyes on me as I scaled up a palm tree. And so because we were in Florida and it was a missions trip, I had some, some trunks on that were fairly short, shorter than what I would wear now because I'm no student. And I was climbing up this palm tree looking super cool, tank top on, um, you know, sun's out, guns out sort of thing. And then very shortly after that, I got back on the charter bus and I started break out ash, uh, poison ivy. I'm severely allergic. Is this cutting out too much? Is that okay? All right. I um, started breaking out in poison ivy everywhere from my ankle to my shoulders and switch it up. Sorry. All right. How's that? Is that better? Awesome. So I started to break out in a rash. And then for the rest of the trip, I was the rashy boy. And she's fell in love with me and been in love with me ever since. So we started out at the low point in life, and it's been uphill ever since, ever since the rash went away. Um, but the point of the sermon series that we are finding ourselves in, it's kind of a fun, playful thing, and it's called How to Be a Perfect Christian. And in some ways, this sermon series is poking fun at mainstream or cultural Christianity. And it's poking fun at the kind of Christianity that claims that your relationship to Christ is what you project and not what you actually live. So before I jump deep into the sermon, I'm going to give you guys a roadmap because I like roadmaps. I can't figure out how to get anywhere. So I'm going to give you guys this roadmap so that if at any point you're like, man, I have no idea where this is going, you can think back to the roadmap and be like, oh, this is where Chris is going. First, we'll start with a satire, and the satire is making fun of something, even though there's some truth in it. Then we're going to explore how our culture created this satire within Christianity, and it didn't actually come from Christ or Scripture. We're going to look at what Scripture says about this satire, and the tension that they hold. And then we're going to see some examples from how different churches and the early church dealt with this issue that we're dealing with today. And then I'm going to make some suggestions on how we should live. And so if we could hit the next slide. Fixing it? Okay. So I will read to you what the satire is. So the satire is, perfect Christians never let anyone get close enough to their lives to see what a mess it is below the surface. So even though that's kind of, kind of a joke, there's also some harsh truth within that. You know, there's times where we all kind of find ourselves projecting a person that we actually aren't in order to make us kind of look like a better Christian. So this is the kind of Christianity that keeps people at arm's length. The kind of Christianity that says, you know what, it's easier for me not to live in authentic community with people because then they'll actually see the baggage. 
Because the problem is when we begin to come close and live in community with people, you can't really hide stuff very long. And after a little while, that stuff starts to churn itself up. And then you actually see the way people really are. So the satire is we never let anyone get close enough to actually see all of that baggage. So the satire also states that when Christians do kind of talk about our issues, we kind of wrap it up in this beautiful little package of like, you know, we're just kind of a beautiful mess. And kind of like those little Instagram quotes that um, kind of still project us to be perfect, even though that's very far from the case. I promise you no one here is what we project ourselves to be. And so going to the next slide, it begs the question, so if the satire came from somewhere, where did it come from? And I think it came from our culture. So what does our culture say? Our culture says we can project ourselves into whatever image we want. Those flaws that you have, we can make everyone think it never even existed. So before I go too deep with that, I'm going to transition to the entire point of this message. Right here. Stop doing this to your pictures. So Steve Harvey's uh, a gentleman. He's a man's man. And he doesn't need all of these filters that someone has put on him. But what our culture says is that you can project yourself to be whatever you want. So if you could go to the next slide, back to, the, back to what culture says. Oftentimes, we fall into the trap of trying to filter our lives, filtering our lives on social media, filtering our lives in community with people, and people don't actually see what's underneath because we keep, keep them at arm's length. And so when we're looking at what culture says, we saw a beautiful example of this this past week with FaceApp. We saw the power of what filters can do. Although people weren't using that to necessarily keep people at arm's length, we saw just how effective the filter effect on social media can be in our own lives. And so when we think about this and we think about like Instagram, I remember, so a small story, when I was in college, I was talking and sitting next to someone and she was scrolling through her Instagram feed, and she was, like, tapping the like button on literally everything that was there. And I said, you can't, like, actually like all of these things, can you? She's like, no, no, no. Like, there's an unspoken rule here within Instagram and social media. She's like, if I like someone else's thing, then they are then obliged to also like my own stuff. And I was like, what are you talking about? She's like, no, like, what we're projecting ourselves to be is like, that's the important thing, is like, the amount of likes that I get on something. The fake thing that I say I am, that I'm really not, is what people affirm. And we have applied that same cultural lie to our Christianity today. And so there was a time where I was working through someone who was trying to develop a personality assessment, so like an Enneagram or a Myers-Briggs sort of thing, like where you take 100 to 200 questions, and then it spits out who you are and everything about you, and it's kind of creepy. So someone was developing that, 
And he's like, we're going to do 200 questions. I said, well, why don't we just like plug in people's social media profiles? You know, that would save a lot of time. And he's like, Chris, that doesn't work. He's like, what people put on social media has nothing to do with what people actually think and what people actually are. Because social media profiles say who we want to be and not actually who we are. And so then I felt dumb and decided just to do the 200 questions. But that's not the point. The point is, is that we've taken this cultural lie and applied it to ourselves. And the result of that is we live at arm's length with our brothers and sisters that we're supposed to live in community with. And so if this is the lie, we have to then turn to Scripture and say, well, what does Scripture have to say about this cultural lie and about the satire? And so we're going to find ourselves in Galatians 6. And it says, Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. And be careful not, all the same, not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Share each other's burdens, and in this way, obey the law of Christ. If you think you are too important to help someone, you are only fooling yourself. You are not that important. Pay careful attention to your own work, for then you will get the satisfaction of a job well done, and you won't need to compare yourself to anyone else, for we are each responsible for our own conduct. So this is just like packed full of what that satire is, and it's full of tension with what the cultural lie was. But when we read through this, I'm just going to pull out a couple small pieces of this. And it says that you are to help that person. You can't help someone unless you get close. When we begin to follow that command of helping one another, of bearing each other's burdens, you can't keep the Instagram version of yourself up. You have to come close. You have to get down into the ruts of what people are dealing with and say, you know what? I have gone through that same exact thing. And you can't put up that filter anymore. You then begin to give stories of things that you've dealt with, the things that someone can empathize with and say, in that moment, I needed community and I didn't find it. So I'm going to be that person that I didn't have. And that's what authentic community is. And that's what scripture is saying about the satire and about the cultural lie. But we also see the law of Christ highlighted in there. And that beautifully connects back to what Pastor Todd said two weeks ago, where he was talking about the law of Christ was such a big deal when he said this because people were just following the law that they had and what people were coming and saying was you had to do x y and z to be the perfect follower of god but the law of christ came and said all of those all of those systematic and ritual things are no longer it but by following the law of Christ, we find ourselves deep with people 
and we find ourselves working through issues and junk together in community. And then, I, then we see, for you are each responsible for your own conduct. I don't think this is talking about, like, you're responsible for your own sin as much as you are responsible for the ways that you help one another by sharing in each other's burdens. And so what the underlying principles to this text is, is authenticity. And that just screams right in the face of the satire and the cultural lie. And it also says your actions are far more important than your words and who you project yourself to be. And so in a sermon series about how to be a perfect Christian, we have to ask the question, well, what does it mean when the Bible says the word perfect? And so if we could go to the next slide with Matthew 5, we see this verse that people often like try to internalize and make a lot more difficult than what it actually is. And it says, you are to be perfect even as your heavenly Father is perfect. And so when the Bible's talking about perfection, it's not talking about without any flaws whatsoever. It's not like the factory-produced world that we live in. When the Bible is talking about perfection, it's talking more about maturity. And what maturity means in this biblical context is you are not the same person you were last year if you are living in authentic community with people and loving God. That is what this is getting at. Christian perfection has nothing to do with being perfect the way we understand it. It has to do with journeying with people and trying to be on the path toward something that you currently aren't. And that thing that you currently aren't right now is like God in the fullest expression of himself. And so when we talk about perfection, it's more about when you shoot an arrow at a target. So think about your Christian life not as like constantly having to hit the center of that target as much as you're the arrow in the air flying toward that target. And so we're trying to be mature and not flawless when we talk about perfect Christianity. And so biblical perfection, we often imply like a negative sound to it, like without flaw, whereas what it's talking about is not without something, but the presence of something else. And that presence is the Holy Spirit in our lives and living in community with one another. And so a story of what horrible Christian perfection can look like is my brother went through a really tough time in his young adult years, and he found himself addicted to drugs, addicted to alcohol, partying all the time, and his life was severely on the decline. We were, my mother went to bed sick every night because she had no idea where he was at, and all of those worst fears of a mother was happening. And so my mom prayed almost night and day for my brother. And we finally had this evening where he just walks in to a church service. And we're all like, what is going on? Like, how did he end up here? And he walks up the front aisle, 
And then one of the elders of the church walks up to him and says, sir, you need to take your hat off. And like in that moment, we're like, no. Like it was like watching this whole thing like from like the ceiling, like there's no way this is actually happening. But what someone did was they said Christianity and perfect Christianity was what you projected yourself to be, the things you wore, and not what the intent of your heart is. A fairly similar story to that is a story of when my mom and I were um, running a youth group one summer at um, our home church. And she was, she's kind of a little fireball, my mom is. And after youth events, we would buy some extra pizzas and we would give it to like the homeless people that lived like under the balcony at our church. And there was this one Sunday morning where this guy came, who was on the church board, came up and started yelling at my mom's like, you can't be doing that. You're like making us look like something we're not. Like we're, we're not that. And she's like, well, then we're not Christians. Like that's like the bare minimum thing you can do is like giving food to someone that's hungry. But what they were projecting perfect Christianity to be had nothing to do with real life. And this person lived in the satire, and this person lived in the cultural lie that we just looked at. And I want to give a Christian history example, and I know that sounds horribly boring, but I promise you it's really cool. So if we could go to the next slide. This is what people said about early Christianity, like, like the first like 50 years, it went downhill after that. Um, but they said, there's something different about this group of Christians. They're different than everyone else. They're different than the pagan religions around here. They're different than the philosophers. They say similar things, but they put it in a language for everyone. So Christ came along and was saying very similar, like, philosophical things as the philosophers and very similar ethical things. But he said, this is for everyone, though. I'm not going to put this in a language that's so high and mighty, and I'm not going to put all of these strings attached to it so people at the bottom of the caste system can't get to it. He says, I'm going to make this thing attainable. And so what Christ came and did was said, authentic community can't exist if we exclude people. Authentic community only exists when we're surrounded with people that look and think differently than ourselves, and we struggle in the tension of that. And we think that tension's a bad thing, but tension is the thing that holds bridges together. Without tension, we're living in a society and a Christianity that was never actually supposed to exist. So the early church, the, the group that this sort of thing was set about, when a plague came through the city and all of the other religions and all of the philosophers were living the, leaving their city because people were dying and catching this plague, the Christians said, well, we can't just like leave this people here. And so the Christians were the ones that stayed and buried the people that were dying from the plague. They surrounded themselves in community with the people that no one else wanted. They said, this person is hurting 
and dying, and we will be the ones to take care of them. That is what authentic community looks like, and that is exactly what Galatians 6 is talking about in sharing with one another's burdens, taking care of one another, being responsible for our own conduct. It has nothing to do with the filter. And there was nothing Instagram sexy about what the early church was doing there. Like, we wouldn't be putting that on, like, Instagram, like, people, like, who were sitting there dying and, like, the plague. Like, there's nothing good to project about that. It was just real. They lived their unfiltered lives for the world around them. And so if we're kind of dealing with this tension of satire, of culture, of history, of scripture, then how on earth are we supposed to live? The only way for us to encourage, restore, and bear each other's burdens is by pursuing authentic community. And if we can have the band start to make their way up. I have another story for you all. And so I was in um, the previous church that I was at. We were doing a Bible study in this transitional home. And so we had people that were getting out of homelessness, people that were getting off the streets. And so we're doing this Bible study. And so you never know what you're going to hear in those moments. And it was a moment where almost every ethnicity was present. Every socioeconomic status was present. And I was thinking that my perspective was the best perspective because I've been in the church a while. I like to think I know some of what the Bible says. And we were going through the book of John. And we get to the point where Jesus's mother while Jesus is on the cross, goes up and sits before it. And this lady was like, oh my gosh. She's like, that is my worst fear in life. And so this lady that couldn't read, she says, that is my worst fear. She's like, from her, where she lives, there is a fear of people abusing her children. She had the fear of getting the phone call from the hospital lived in that fear of tension, of seeing other people hurt her children the same way that the mother of Jesus was witnessing it in that moment in the book of John. And it informed me of something that I'd never seen within the narrative of scripture. And in that moment, maybe the real victim wasn't Jesus. Maybe that In that moment, the victim was Jesus' mother who was witnessing all of this unfold. But Jesus' solution to that was he, he looked down from the cross and looked over at the disciple John and had him come near and said, Woman, this is now your son. Son, this is now your mother. What his words in that moment actually and how that actually played out was she can't carry her burdens on her own and she can't take care of herself on her own. So live an authentic community by bearing each other's burdens together.